You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skin care that the pros love, LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25 in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. 16 teams are battling it out for the Stanley Cup, but the offseason is officially here for the LA Kings and Ontario Reign. Zach Dooley and I are going to walk you through it. Here we go. With the Ontario Reign knocked out of the Pacific AHL Pacific Division playoffs, it's time to look to the offseason and join me to do that is Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing all right. Doing all right. It's been a long time since we've had, you know, a very clear um map of what an offseason will look like i guess it's been over 24 months uh, last last offseason was always a question of you know when is this going to happen when is that going to happen but this time we know when everything's going to happen and so we're just going to run through it real quick um there's some important dates coming up a lot of decisions the kings have to make first up is the draft lottery and that's june 2nd kings currently holding the 8th or I guess we're calling it the eighth spot with the eighth best odds to win the the uh, first and second draft picks. I think that's a good one. They have the eighth best odds, and that's now locked in after the way that the Vancouver-Calgary games have played out over the last few days. Um, the eighth best odds, if my math is correct, a 12.5% chance of getting either the first or second pick, um, and obviously an 87.5% chance of picking lower. Yeah, and I think it winds up being just over fifty percent to to remain in the eighth spot, and a and an unsettling thirty three percent or something like that chance of falling to ninth or tenth. But the lowest they can drop is to tenth. Um, as we said, uh, the draft lottery June second. So uh, starting on June second, we will find out. Um, after that, the next important day on the calendar is July seventeenth. That is the day that the Seattle expansion list is due. And that is when the Kings will decide who is protected and who is eligible to be drafted by Seattle. That draft will take place Wednesday, July 21st. Then the regular draft, the NHL entry draft, will take place. The first round will be July 23rd. The second through the seventh round will be July 24th. July 26th is the deadline to qualify restricted free agents. Um, We'll get into who's a restricted free agent in a moment. But if the Kings fail to offer a qualifying offer to their restricted free agents, those restricted free agents become unrestricted free agents, can be signed by anybody. That all begins on July 28th. So, Zach, let's get into uh, the details of the free agency. there's only three unrestricted free agents, Troy Grosnick, Mark Alt, and Daniel Brickley. And without getting too deep into the conversations, Grosnick and Alt were signed presumably to play in Ontario last year, right? I think they were. Um, but this they were obviously also signed before 
the implementation of a taxi squad. Right. Um, you know, you know, Troy, in, in an ideal normal year, you probably would have had a, a Grosnick Volalta tandem in Ontario, with Grosnick being your de facto third goalie mm-hmm. called up in event of an injury. In this particular season, he spent the majority of his year on the taxi squad as that third goalie kind of in practice. Uh, and he did wind up getting a couple of games with the big club as well. Mark Alt, you know, was kind of in that same boat. He would have been, you know, a veteran defenseman, a number eight guy in the organization, whatever you want to put him. Um, he had some injuries earlier in the year, played a couple games with the Kings as well. Um, so yeah, normally, you know, two guys probably signed to play in Ontario, um, but this was far from a normal year. Yeah. So decisions to make there um, uh, every year, the AHL team, does pad out the roster with guys on AHL deals or veterans signed to two-way deals, but that are presumably going to spend the bulk of the year in Ontario. So uh, Alt, uh, like I said, Grosnick and Daniel Brickley, young defense when they have to make a decision about. On the restricted free agent side, um, there's a few more decisions to make, and some of them are pretty big. And like we said, they have until July 26th to decide whether or not to offer a qualifying offer or a regular contract. It doesn't have to be a contract qualifying offer they can just sign these guys um or release these players to uh, unrestricted free agency we'll start on the blue line christian willan and jacob muverari kale clegg and austin strand um i don't i wouldn't be surprised if all four of those guys receive at the very least qualifying offers definitely wouldn't surprise me right like three of those four guys played games yeah in the nhl this season yep and muverari a first year pro was by all accounts very impressive Mm-hmm. With Ontario, not not a first year pro, first year North American pro, played several years in Sweden, but very impressive from, you know, from all accounts with Ontario. So there's there's four guys, who three of them have NHL games. The fourth has a lot of pro experience and was one of the leaders on the Reigns blue line. So it wouldn't surprise me to see see any or all of those those four guys back in some way. Yeah, Christian Willanen acquired in a trade. Um, for Michael Amadio, Jacob Muvarari, like you said, uh, impressed in Ontario. I believe John Hoven named him the best defenseman um, for the rain this year. He did, yeah. Kale Clegg and Austin Strand, like you said, saw a lot of time with the Kings. And I haven't heard anything specifically from anyone inside the organization, but at least on message boards and social media, there's a ton of Kings fans I know that think that Kale Clegg um, is worthy of consideration for protection from the Seattle expansion draft. So Second round pick 2016, I think. Um, so that just goes to show you, you know, tough decisions to make uh, on the blue line in the RFA um, department. On the forward core, uh, a lot of guys that I expect to receive not just qualifying offers, but contract extensions. And then uh, some tough calls, but Trevor Moore, Boko Imama, Mikey Asimont, Andreas Athanasiu, Leish Anderson, Drake Rimshaw, Blake Lazat, and Matt Luff, all restricted free agents. Um, like I said, I expect at least uh, Trevor Moore to get a contract extension. The rest of them, uh, qualifying offers or negotiations or, or again, a, a contract like Trevor Moore. But some some tough decisions there. Another one where like six of those eight guys played games right. for the NHL club this season. You know, Trevor Moore and Andreas Athanasiu have both been asked in interviews, like, have you started negotiating? And the answer both times has been yes. Uh, Rob Blake the other day said that negotiations yet. He didn't say names, but you know, he said negotiations have begun. They started before the deadline. They've continued into the off season, but there wasn't that urgency that there was for an outside follow because of that date you mentioned, which was July 26th, the urgency 
was for I follow who was a UFA guys who are an RFA. There's obviously some more time to work through those types of situations. I think Trevor Moore was maybe the biggest exceeder of expectations all year. Um, and I would think that, you know, he's a guy who clearly wants to be here. You'd think the organization would want him to be here. Seems like an easy match. Um, Andreas Athanasiu, Leas Anderson, Blake Lazat. These, these three guys played, you know, 40, 50, 40 plus games. Lazat and Athanasiu and Anderson played a big role at the end of the year. So these guys were, you know, part of the NHL club for at least a decent chunk of the season. And then you, you have to make some decisions on those guys. It'll be interesting to see how they go. But, but like you said, there's, there's not, uh, not many names in that list where you'd be like, you know, I, I don't a hundred percent don't expect something, you know, you, you could see, Hey, I know maybe there isn't a qualifying offer to a couple of those guys, but there wouldn't be a ton of surprise if anyone there was qualified. No. And even, even a guy like Boko Imama or Matt Luff, um, who, you know, with all due respect to Boko at this point, I think he's far enough down the, the depth chart that finding him a spot on the NHL roster would be difficult. Um, given his age and skill set and, you know, direction that the organization is moving, but he plays an incredibly important role in Ontario. And you wore a letter. This year. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's value to those guys. hundred um, percent value to a guy who can play his role, know his role, be a leader for the younger players coming up. Um, I think that was, you know, a big part of the evolution of Boko is, you know, he became a leader yeah. on a very, very young rain team that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and there's some importance to that. And sometimes you see guys like that too. Maybe they, maybe they get some games here and there as, as a depth guy, you know, Boko's role isn't to play on the first line. You know, he's a guy who can come up and fill a role on a fourth line too. And it's important to have guys throughout the organization who kind of know where they slot in and it's not an adjustment when they come up. And I think it would be, wouldn't be surprising at all to see a guy like that with high character, yep. great intangibles retained. And in an era where your team is up against the cap, it's more difficult to get players like that to play for your AHL team because you're having to, you know, every time you offer somebody a qualifying offer, you're, you're essentially giving them a, a, a collectively bargained raise. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, but in a, in a situation where like the Kings find themselves in where there's plenty of cap space um, and presumably will be for the next year or two um, it makes moves like that a lot easier. Not saying it will happen, not saying it should happen, just saying wouldn't be surprised. Um, so that's uh, July 26th. Then the next thing that that sort of has to be negotiated is the Seattle protection list. And I'm going to run through this as quickly as I can. Uh, I'll try and make it as simple as I can. Um, the Kings have to expose one goalie um, who have met a certain number of criteria. We're not going to go over the criteria on this episode because it takes too long and it seems to trip people up. So you're just going to have to take our word for it that the players we talk about have met the criteria. Jonathan Quick and Cal Peterson are the two goalies. Um, that the Kings could offer, they're going to protect Peterson and expose Jonathan Quick, right? That's been the rhetoric for a few years now. It'd be hard to see a way that, you know, with how Todd McClellan and Rob Blake talked about each of those guys, it would be hard to see, you know, it going the other way with, yeah. you know, the high high praise for, for Peterson, you know, how he's working his way into that number one role on a full-time basis. Uh, I think it's, it's pretty safe to say that's the route they'll go. Yeah. Now, when it comes to protecting uh, skaters, they can go with seven forwards and three defensemen or eight skaters total. My hunch, Zach, is that they'll go seven forwards, three defensemen, but they may not. 
um, there are nine defensemen that uh, that need to have a decision made about them. Bjornfoot, Anderson, Phillips, Hultz, and Dersey are ineligible as is Spence. But Dowdy, Roy, Walker, Mata, McDermott, Willannon, Muvarari, Clegg, and Strand, um, as of today, because they haven't submitted the list, are all eligible to be selected. Now, they, like I said, they will most likely protect three of those players. Um, complicating things, I suppose, is the RFA status of Willannon, Muvarari, Clegg, and Strand. But uh, those are the nine guys they have to choose from. And, I mean... Uh, I think that the, the the contract decisions that the organization has made would point to you're not going to expose Drew Doughty, Matt yeah, Roy, no, or Sean not. Walker. Right. You know those those three guys yeah. were committed to by the franchise on a long term basis. You know Roy with a three year deal, Walker signed a four year deal with one expired. Drew Doughty is on a long term deal. So the organization has clearly shown that they have invested in those three players on a longer term basis at least over the next three years which would make it extremely surprising if any of those three players were exposed yeah and i also want to kind of nip in the bud a a a thought that i keep seeing echoed on on social media where people twist themselves into mental knots trying to figure out a way to trick the seattle expansion process whether whether it's you know not signing i follow to an extension uh, so that they don't have to protect him. And then he just signs a contract after the <laughs> Seattle expansion draft, you know, or whether it's people suggesting that Strand and Clegg weren't getting NHL minutes so that they could hide them in AHL so that Seattle wouldn't see them and wouldn't select video them. game thoughts. Yeah. Like that is not further for, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's just not how any of this ever works. Um, Seattle has a scouting staff. Kale Clegg is not a mystery to Seattle. Seattle knows all all about every player on every roster. That's all they have to do right now. I can confirm that Seattle yeah. has sent representatives <laughs> to watch the Ontario Reign play this season, yeah. and they've also, I'm sure, have an HL TV subscription. Yeah, they they are familiar with the players who have played in the AHL. They've had scouts in person at Reign games. They've had scouts in person in person at Kings games. Like they they know who the Kings have and who, who the Kings are going to be putting up regardless of where they were playing this year in the organization. Yeah. They, they know. And, and as Jim Fox is always um, prone to saying, regardless of what player gets selected by Seattle, it, it I'll, I'll amend his statement. He always says it doesn't matter. I will say it shouldn't matter. Um, if your organization is so fragile that its future relies on one um defenseman ranked fourth on your depth chart or forward ranked eighth on your depth chart, then you have built your franchise wrong. Um, it's never fun to lose a player. And obviously we wish it wouldn't happen, but it's going to, it's going to be somebody. <laughs> and uh, that player most likely will not be a bum and will not be uh, the player that the Kings uh, are most interested in ha- having taken off of their roster. So uh, that brings us to the forward group. Um, Kopitar has a no movement clause, so I'm not going to list his name. There are 15 players they have to make decisions on, and six of them, as I said, will most likely get protected. Alex Iafalo, Adrian Kempe, Austin Wagner, Dustin Brown, Carl Grunstrom, Brendan Lemieux, Martin Furk, Trevor Moore, Boko Imama, Mikey Asimont, Andreas Athanasiu, Leah Anderson, Drake Rimshaw, Blake Lazat, Matt Luff. Um, if you're an insane person like me and you spend a ton of time staring at cap friendly and depth charts and rosters, um, I think there's some pretty clear tiers uh, that players fall into as to whether or not they will be definitely protected, debated, 
or unprotected, um, but some fairly difficult decisions to be made in that group. I think that you can say there are three definites among the forwards, Kopitar, Kempe, Ayafalo. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt among those three. And I think that the biggest doubt beyond those three is contract related. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's Trevor Moore, Anderson, Oppen to see you who are, I believe all RFAs. Yep. Um, you have the status of a guy like Dustin Brown, who the Kings obviously want to keep around. They don't want him to be picked. The only reason to expose him would be, would Seattle pick, you know, a 36 year old forward making just under 6 million when they're an expansion team. So the, the thought would be like, can you get him through without, you know, protecting him? That's, that's the reason that he wouldn't be exposed. And then it's just a matter of, you know, these restricted free agents, these guys who are maybe bottom six guys, who do you choose from that group? And I think that's where the the decisions need to be made. And, and it's how it's something that will shape up to over the next two months, as we see guys get signed potentially like this list will probably clear itself up a little bit between now and then. Yeah, you would expect. Um, I would add Trevor Moore to the tier three. Um, I'm not saying it's almost certain, right? Yeah, and this isn't based on anything from within the organization. This is just reading the tea leaves. Um, Strictly a contract reason that I didn't have him there was he is not signed for next year. But I mean, I'd have to think all indications point towards like this is a guy who wants to be here. The coaching staff loves him. It's right. an obvious fit. If he's signed, he will be on the list. Yeah, and I'm going to address the Brown issue because he was unprotected for the Vegas draft. Um, I think, and I'm sure there are some people who will tell me that this is poor asset management and, and model and sentimentality, but I've had this conversation with a handful of people I would not be opposed, not suggesting that they will or should do this, but I personally would not be opposed to protecting Dustin Brown if for no other reason than than symbolism, than as a gesture to him to say, we want you to retire in a King's jersey. This guarantee, you know, no matter how low a chance we think that you would be selected by Seattle, this guarantees that you will not be and that you will play the remainder of your career in Los Angeles. You would be on my list if I was submitting it today. Okay. And for a couple of reasons, that's one for sure. Like he's obviously means more to the franchise than just what he brings on the ice right now as a player. Absolutely. But what he brings on the ice right now as a player is still the team leader in goals. It's not like Dustin Brown had six points last year. Like he had, a, he had a pretty good year. I think he had what, 17 goals. Yeah. And after um, by far and, the most on the team and, and, was and clearly, I oh, sorry, clearly injured for a large part of the year. Yeah. Um, as was said by Rob Blake at the year end press conference, like he, he wasn't a hundred percent, I don't think for some time. Um, so I, I would, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised either for a few reasons if, if he was on there. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. And uh, Jim Fox has said repeatedly that he believes that Leish Anderson has a, a big role to play in the future of this franchise and that they have plans for him. Um, assuming he's correct and that you are correct about Dustin Brown and that I'm correct about Trevor Moore, that's six forwards, um, which means one of Lazat, Athanasiou, Grunstrom, Wagner, Lemieux, Ferk, Luff, Ace Mont, Rimshaw, Mama, et cetera. So uh, that's a tough decision, you know, and, and I don't envy the people who are tasked with making that decision, but that's, uh, that's what the Kings are looking at for the summer uh, on top of, you know, 
are they going to make any trades? Are they going to sign anybody in free agency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's been a lot of rhetoric thrown around about this being a huge offseason, one of the most important, uh, certainly in recent memory in the franchise. And that stuff that we just covered is, <laughs> right, that's the that's the normal, boring, mundane stuff that you have to deal with every year. So, well, I guess you I've, don't have an expansion. I got two more thoughts on the expansion. Yeah, draft. please do. Yeah. So one, I looked back at the Vegas expansion draft and the teams that handled the expansion draft the worst were the teams that made a trade with Vegas to protect 100%. a certain player. 100%. And you saw teams wind up giving up potentially two good players. Um, and it's funny that the, the Vegas Knights are playing Minnesota right now because yeah. Minnesota was made one of the worst trades of all, yes, giving up uh, Alex Tuck in that deal. So I think that's been something that's always talked about. Oh, do you make a trade to protect players? Like, I don't, I don't think that you do. No. Um, and I think that a lot of GMs will learn from what they did last time as a reason maybe to not do it this time. Um, the only way that I would tolerate the idea of trading a player or prospect to steer Seattle towards a specific player would be if they played in the Atlantic division. Um, but they play in the Pacific division. And so giving them two assets, like you said, with Minnesota, Minnesota, Florida, Columbus and Anaheim, I think, were the four biggest offenders in the you Vegas. You could even say you could probably throw Pittsburgh in there too. Gave up a second round pick. Oh God, to, yeah, you, to, to take the, right. you know the potential yeah. Vezina winner. But yeah, yeah, but I mean, the worst two were definitely Florida and Minnesota. Yeah. I think Anaheim probably in that boat too. But for sure, you know, that's we saw it where you know Vegas potentially added two quality players who are still there in these deals. You know, yeah. to stray direction A or B. And it it clearly worked in the favor of the team, the expansion team, not the team. Hundred um, percent. My second point would be that not to say that the Kings will do this, but the type of deal you might want to see would be with another team who potentially has too many players to protect or in some salary cap trouble. Maybe you could get, you know, we're talking. We don't have a solid seven forwards. Could you add? a forward from somewhere else for below market value because the team either needs cap space or needs an expansion draft space. So maybe you can capitalize on the situation somewhere else by, you know, you can get a player for less, maybe less than you should because of this expansion draft. And that's a one-time opportunity, not saying the Kings will not saying they should, but it's certainly something I think that will be explored around that time. Yeah. I think the, flat cap is going to play a role in that as well right in the king's favor yes well and just in in the idea of trades to skirt uh expansion draft uh dilemmas and in the nba i don't know if it happens in i don't can't think of any nfl trades where it's happened but i'm sure there have been at least one but in the nba we see plenty of multi-team trades three teams, four teams. Um, I don't know if there's ever been as many as five or six. In the NHL, I can only think of uh, less than a handful of trades that have involved three teams. Um, the only way they, they did this year was just with the uh, teams trying to retain salary. Yeah, It was like the third team was basically buying a mid-round draft pick. And yeah. that's not what you're talking about. I know that. And well, but but that sort of thing, I think, with the expansion draft, with the flat cap, um, with teams like Buffalo and Ottawa and even LA with plenty of cap space and, and little chance of, you know, leapfrogging to contention right away. Um, I think we may see a, a 
pretty clear rise of the three team trade over the next two or three seasons. Um, but I, I just to double back to your first point, I agree hundred percent. I hope dearly that every team in the league learned a lesson <laughs> from Vegas. Um, I see a lot of people talking about how Seattle won't be any good. Um, I don't same people that, who are talking about Vegas yeah. not being any good. Right. And it seems like a tall order to expect that Seattle to be as good as Vegas was in their first year, but they won't be the Tampa Bay lightning or Ottawa senators from their first season. Like the, correct. The, the process is still designed to make them competitive right away even if they're not cup contenders um we're gonna move on now to the ontario rain ontario did wind up losing uh that first game in the ahl pacific division playoffs um i i (laughs) i don't know if you watched that game or not zach but i i was really curious to see people's reaction to that game online i saw a lot of people criticizing the team for the game they lost in overtime i think it was was it four to three five to four it was five Uh, five four and ot yeah in a game where they had two guys on the blue line that played in the ECHL two weeks ago. Um, right. I thought it was, I thought, I thought the second half of the rain season was great. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic or being a homer when I use that superlative. I think you're right on both points. One, I mean, it was a one game single elimination right. in the <laughs> AHL. Any team in the AHL can beat any team on a given night. Yeah, and with no fans. No, <laughs> no fans in a neutral building. Right. And they lost an OT. You know, it's yeah. not like they, they got smoked like 6-2 or something. It was 5-4 yeah. in OT. The rain had substantially more chances in OT. They just couldn't bury one in Colorado. Gets one to go on a nice play. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, in a one-game situation, anything can happen. Um, first half of the year to second half of the year, huge jump for the rain, right? Like the, they won one game from their first 13. They were a punchline for Twitter for a month and a half. And then can I correct us real quick? Yep. It's not even first half, second half. It's first quarter, first quarter, first third. Yeah. Second. Yeah, exactly. It was one from 13. Yeah. And from that point on, they were 16, nine and two. I mean, that's, that's seven games above 500 in the final 27 and what was cool and interesting is that, you know, certain players stat lines really matched that swing to, you know, first third half to second, two thirds half. And even some of the games that they lost after that one 10 and two start, um, I'm just going to flip through here real quick. Like they lost a game five to four to the Condors, you know, or they lost a game six to four against the Gulls. These were not, hideous like you said they're not blowouts they're not eight to one or seven to two these were close games and i understand that you know that that it's professional sports and as a results you know oriented business and everything but the rain had an incredibly young team full of forwards that you know were playing their first professional year or first professional year in north america and on the blue line and in the net there were very few players that that were there night in and night out, right? Grossnick signs, then gets claimed on waivers. He's gone. So Valalta has to go sit on the taxi squad. Then they bring in Barube. Ingham has to come up for a while. Then they reclaim Grossnick, you know, but then he's got a quarantine. Valalta's in and out of the lineup. You know, Ingham's back up and down from, uh, from uh, Greensville. You know, the, the net was a, I don't, 
envy any of the people responsible for uh, for the goaltending. And on the blue line, Bjornfoot was part of the leadership group in the preseason. He winds up spending the bulk of the season with the Kings. Um, Muvrari got hurt. Holt started the season hurt. Strand and Clegg get called up when when Roy and Walker um, go down against Minnesota early on. So I mean, like the the back half of the team had a lot of challenges on top of the 10 month COVID break and a new coach and young players, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, the fact that this team had such an incredible turnaround to me is just a testament to Robleski and, uh, and the scouting staff development team, et cetera, that assembled this group of talented players. You look at the blue line, right? Like the Rangers 13 defensemen across their 41 games nine different guys played at least 19 games right, and one, right. one guy played 80% or more of the games, Sean yeah. Dersey, yeah. one defenseman played in 80% or more of the team's games this year. Like that's pretty wild to it think is. of the inconsistency of personnel. Like some games they were addressing five defensemen mm-hmm. because of injuries, call-ups COVID at the Kings level. So there was so much turnover on the back end and it wasn't turnover between, you know, six 30 year old guys. <laughs> right. It was, it was a lot of rookies coming in some guys from the ECHL, few veterans who were coming down. Um, but I think that you really saw that, that swing on the back end when Clegg and strand started playing more regularly. And I'm not saying that it was those two guys just playing out of their mind, carrying the other four, but when you added them into the mix, when Cameron Gaunt was in the lineup when Mark Alt was in the lineup, you had more of those veteran voices on the blue line. Like you clearly saw better results. And I don't think it's a full coincidence that when you just add some more proven guys, it makes the younger guys a lot better. And you just see that all the time at the AHL. It was the same with the forwards. It was the same with the D when you added some more proven guys to the mix, everybody got better. Yeah. And everything we heard during those first rough 13 games from the organization, give it time, they'll figure it out It take, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things bore out to be true. Um, and, you know, Jack Jablonski has done a couple series where he talked to uh, Alex Turcott and Arthur Kaliev and uh, Sean Dudas, excuse me, Sean Dersey and Aiden Dudas. And we've heard from Akil Thomas, you know, I think the quote from Akil Thomas was, this is the closest knit locker room he's ever experienced or something like that. And I mean, I grant you, he's a young man. So the number of locker rooms he would have had the opportunity to experience is somewhat limited, but still for a guy who scored the gold medal winning goal for team Canada, at the WJC is like, that's a pretty, it's a pretty great statement. Um, I had a thought then I've totally lost it. now. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, the point is that this team not only improved, but improved quickly and impressively. Uh, I think there was a stretch where they scored six goals and you know per game in six games in a row or something like that. There's a, there's a ton of reason to be optimistic about the season they had. Hundred percent. And if you look at you know we talked about the D, but look at the forwards. Like Akil Thomas had three goals from his first twelve, finished with twenty three points from his last twenty eight. That's really good for a rookie in the AHL. Alex Turcott, after he came back from injury, he had twenty one from twenty seven. That's really good too. Yeah. And you're looking at these younger guys. You know Arthur Kaliev a little bit more consistent throughout the year, but Quinton Byfield kind of in that same boat, like he had one goal from his first 15 games and then he had seven goals and 13 points from his next 15 before his call up. So like, these are guys who clearly developed and improved throughout the course of the year. 
And that's really what's important here, especially this season, like the AHL yeah. playoffs. I, I don't want to say that they were meaningless, but <laughs> it, it wasn't the normal AHL playoffs where you're playing for a four round yeah. Calder cup, which really does mean something. It's a true grind. Like this is a thrown together tournament that was meant to give these guys more games to try and play for a small trophy. That isn't, it's not a cup, you know, it, it's a trophy for yeah. winning a, a tournament. And that, that and, is what it is. And and the format, right, with four lower seeds playing single elimination for the right to be the the fourth seed and then play. Right. You know, best, yeah, it was, it was a bit nutty. Let's talk about Kaliev and Byfield, though, because, you know, as much of a shame as it is that the OHL season never got off the ground and as complicating as that is going to be towards the scouting and drafting process, Strictly from a Kings perspective, excuse me, as I stumble over my words, um, it worked out perfectly. I mean, Byfield and Kaliev, I don't like the phrase, well, there's nothing left to prove at a certain level. And that's what people always say of young prospects. Oh, don't send it back to juniors. There's nothing left to prove there. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not the exclusive reason that you assign somebody back to their junior team. But going to lean on that cliche there would have been nothing left for Kaliev and Byfeld to prove at the OHL level this season you know there are clearly clearly guys like that who belong (laughs) at the AHL when they're not eligible to be there right and it's just one of those quirks where it's not it's not a ton of guys but it's probably it's probably less than 10 across the league per year that are ineligible to play in the AHL but their best league to play in is probably the AHL and I feel like every time we say it benefited the Kings, we have to clarify that we feel bad about the OHL because it sucks. <laughs> we do have to but, say that. <laughs> but like selfishly, like yeah, this was the best great. thing for the Kings. And like Nelson Emerson said it at the state of the franchise event, like having the two of those guys specifically in the Kings building, being able to be watched every single day by the development team, by management, like you can't put a price on how important that was for the Kings. And you saw both of those guys succeed in the AHL, which pretty much proves that that's the league that they should have been in. Yeah. Not, not the OHL. And I want to address something that I find sort of fascinating. Both Kaliev and Byfield had similar uh, concerns voiced by somebody. I, I never did find out who started this on either player. But the notion of work ethic or hockey IQ, you know, whatever intangible you want to apply to it, right? That work ethic, I think, was applied to Kaliev and hockey IQ was, was a, a, you know, Byfield was accused of not having the best hockey IQ. Both of those things, based on what I saw this season, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, Arthur Kaliev is a, as near as I can tell from watching him play does everything you'd want him to do. He goes into the corners, he protects the pucks, he passes. He, you know, is he the world's best shutdown defensive winger? No, but he's also 19. Um, And for me, honestly, as silly as this might sound, the only thing I need to know about Arthur Kaliev is that that Alex Turcotte loves him. And Alex Turcotte cannot be accused of having a low work ethic. Or, or being unwilling to do whatever it takes um, to help his team win. And if a guy like that is as fond of and affectionate for a guy like uh, Arthur Kaliev, to me that suggests that at least on a competitive level, they are cut from the same cloth. I'll go a different direction to kind of say the same thing. Is I'll, I'll say it the way that Mark Unetti told me about it. It Perfect. was that 
Arthur Kaliev was a 17 year old kid who needed to mature. And he did over the course of the last two years, you know, Mm -hmm. at 17, you know, he, he was, the way he called him was he was young. He was, he was immature in some ways. And a lot of times those things just get lumped into this character bucket Yeah, and no, by uneducated people, you know, we'll just say, Oh, it's character issues without either understanding or seeing what those are just out of character issues. And I feel like Cali have got lumped into that bucket sometimes, but it was just kind of a, you know, the, the thought within the organization was as he got older, as he matured, as he grew, he would grow past some of those things. And it seemed like by all accounts that he has done quite a bit of that and showed quite a bit of that this year. And I don't think that the results and the quotes from John Robleski are by accident. Like these are yeah. things that are happening. Like he, he's clearly rounding out a lot of areas of his game while still scoring, you know, producing a lot of points and very impressive year. Yeah. And Quentin Byfield, I mean, obviously we had a longer look at him in the NHL than we did Arthur Kaliev, but I feel like I'm out of nice things to say about Quentin Byfield. The kid's amazing. Had a great, great first year, right? Like yeah. he, hard to ask for too much more. Once he kind of figured out the AHL, once he got settled into that style, you know, he was a very productive player. Uh, you saw some really, really good things from him in his small sample with the Kings. You know, Todd McClellan called him at 18 an NHL caliber player. And he said, you know, very excited to see what he's going to look like at 22. And you'd have to think that he's a guy who will be penciled in, not penned in, but penciled into a, a center spot on next season's Kings. And it'll be one of where, you know, the only way he's getting erased is if he doesn't take that spot in camp kind of thing, yeah. not the other way around. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And just to circle back one more time and sort of defend the goalies um, and the defensemen, I, I historically and generally speaking have very low interest in prospects and uh, particularly undrafted prospects, but even, even players that have been acquired by the franchise, my attitude in the past has been, you know, I'll pay attention when they wear a Kings Jersey. Um, Just because part of that is because growing up in Southern California, there was very little access to information in the pre-internet era. Um, But the other part was that we were constantly being sold, you know, well, this play, you know, Pablo Rosa, Don McLean, uh, et cetera, et cetera. These are the guys that are going to come in. Vitaly Yachmanev, who actually was in a Kings jersey for a while. Um, and it very rarely panned out. But personally, never mind on the ice, personally, I like Matt Vilalta. <laughs> I think he's an incredibly good kid. <laughs> I really like dealing with him. Um, everything I've heard from people within the organization is that he is going to be good. Um, and that this was a particularly rough year, just logistically, not not talking about on the ice, but as far as, again, the, the extended COVID break and the shuffling of goalie spots and goalie depth with all the things we talked about. Um, so I think patience is the is the word of the day when it comes to not just Matty Valalta, but the entire goaltending pipeline. Um this is still a Kings development staff that has churned out backup goalies, like, you know, like a factory over sure. the last 10 years and not much has changed about that. So uh, <clears throat> it's been a weird year. I know the coaches don't like to say it, but, or use it as an excuse, but I will. And I think this season in particular, um, it's perfectly fine to, uh, to list all of the explanations that one can for, for why players or, or 
departments have struggled. Yeah, I'll agree with you twice. I mean, I, I like Matty Volta a lot too. He's he's an unreal guy. Um, and I think it would be un, unfair to anyone to write off a player off of this year alone because coming into this year, the expectations for Matty Volta were very high because of how well he played after Cal Peterson got called up last year. Like the narrative was like, all right, well, the rain are done. Yeah. When Jack Campbell got traded and Cal Peterson went up, but the rain stayed firmly in the mix because Matty Blalta stepped in and took on the starters role and handled himself very well. You know, obviously the numbers weren't great this year, especially at the beginning, um, but you, you, you saw a much better goalie at the end of the year. And I, I just don't think that you can really negatively say, like, all right, well, this guy doesn't have it off of this season specifically. If, you know, if there's another bad year for certain guys next year, all right, well, that, that's a normal season, but this year is just so weird. I, I think it's, unfair to everyone to write someone off off of this season yeah i agree with that so that brings us to the summer zach um as we said at the top it's not a totally normal summer but at least we have a calendar right at least we have a timeline last last summer was a a waking nightmare for everybody Um, blank white page yeah exactly (laughs) every new day was just a new list of question marks when's this gonna happen when's that gonna happen we don't know even when things were uh stated we didn't know for sure but this year like we said we've got a calendar we have all the details and dates so when it comes to you and i and the rest of the king's content uh, department zach um we've got some we've got some stuff cooking we got some irons in the fire as they say irons in the fire i like it um first up i don't know when or what it's going to look like but you and i have been talking uh for a while about presenting um just a sort of overview of how did we get here and where do we have to go for the organization um starting i guess in 2017 at least that's my perspective um is that is that there's a clear line of delineation um for for the rob blake era from the dean lombardi era that that was the date right like that was when the change was made um so yeah i think that you know this is a very important summer for a lot of reasons um I think everyone has said it. I think that Kopitar and Dowdy said it. I think that McClellan said it. I think that Blake said it. Like there, changes, improvements have to be made and you can yeah. make them in a lot of different ways. Can be internal, can be external. But I think that it was very clear that the, the team has to get better from last year to this year. They have to show signs of progress from last year to this year. And that this summer is is a very important one, you know, for the Kings organization. They've, they've completed the teardown. The teardown's done. That was the last two years. Yep. This year was kind of maybe that first step up in the ascent. It's a long ascent and they, it was one step, but it was the first step up. And then the next, this summer is when you, you would really hope that it's, it's a couple steps up in the yep. process. Yeah. So we'll be covering that uh, all summer long. Also, uh, obviously once the draft lottery happens on June 2nd, we'll have a better idea. Not a better idea. We'll know where the Kings, well, I guess we won't because there could be trades, but we'll have a, I'll go back to my original phrase. We'll know what pick the Kings. Yeah, own. exactly. What they choose to do with it is up to them, but right. we'll know what pick that the Kings own on June 2nd. So I think Zach and I will probably both be working on our own uh, lines of content covering uh, potential players that the Kings could use that draft pick on. Um, obviously a lot of defensemen available in this year's draft. Um, we'll have uh, player evaluations that I think you and I will be teaming up on. 
little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll take a look at you know just just what happened. Um, more of an individual note on certain guys, and you know hopefully there'll be some written content, some audio content, yeah. um, and those should be coming at you. You know June, July, and a lot of praise for Maddie Villalta from me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, we are about to enter the tenth anniversary season uh, of the Kings' first Stanley Cup win. And so uh, we're still sort of tinkering on how uh, that coverage will look, but, um, but expect, uh, you know, some stuff from us throughout the year because uh, an important, an important year in King's history and we want to pay uh, homage to it. Zach, real quick though, when it comes to uh, this summer and concepts of rebuilds and everything, I'm going to, we didn't talk about this. I'm throwing this at you blind and I apologize, but I'm curious if you had to pick a day, um, and you can pass on this if you want. But if you had to pick a, a moment or a trade or a time or or anything that you thought that the quote unquote rebuild started, I'm curious if you have a if you have one. I think it was Jake Muzzin to Toronto. Okay, it would be my my take. I I thought until. I don't remember, you know, I don't have a in front of me like a list of, okay, these are the trades the Kings made in 2018, right. 2019. I would say that that's the first one I can remember that was a straight up, the Kings dealt a clear NHL contributor for futures. If I'm right um, in yeah, saying that, I think that, so, that yeah. would be, that would be my, yeah. that'd be my day. Well, that's a pretty common one. Um, I'm just going to give you mine and then we'll wrap this up. I'm not going to explain it too much. We can go into it in future episodes and articles and everything, but just something for people to think about. Uh, for me, it's when the Kings signed Cal Peterson. That was back in, I think, uh, May or June of 2017. I think it was the first move that Rob Blake made when he joined the organization. Um, and uh, like I said, explanation of that thought process to come in the future. Zach, I want to thank you as always for joining me. Yeah, Jesse, thanks for having me. This was fun. And uh, it should be a fun offseason. season.